You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. This episode is also really special. It is the first part of an interview I have with Muna Kacha and with Kaspar Rufibach. Both are very, very well known in the industry for their methodological skills. But today we are not talking about these, but we are talking about what it takes to turn methodological skills as an individual, but also as a company into value. So stay tuned and now some music. Today's episode is very, very much associated with leadership. And as you know, probably if you are a frequent listener to this episode, Gary Sullivan and myself do a leadership program that is really an influencing program. It is designed for you as a statistician, as a data scientist, as a programmer to make sure that others act on your ideas. So it is exactly in line with what we speak about in this podcast episode, where it's all about getting others to implement your great statistical ideas. But it could be also all kind of other things. Yeah, Maybe you want to have a better process. Maybe you want to have a, a new vendor. Maybe you want to have more resources. All these other things. All about negotiation, communication, conflict resolution, working effectively in team, all these kind of different things. We all cover that in the Effective Statistician Leadership Program. Now, when we started the program, it was really there for anybody to join. And this is still the case. However, nowadays, most of the participants are coming through the companies. So companies come to us and say, hey, we want to train 20, 30, 50, and over the years, even 100 and more statisticians in these programs. So if you're interested in getting your colleagues, you, the team members trained, then reach out to Gary or myself. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to the PSI website, psiweb.org, to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician, and today I have some pretty prominent guests here, Mona and Kaspar. Great to have you. Mona, how are you doing? Good morning. Very well. Thank you. Yourself? Very good. Kaspar, you have been on the podcast before a couple of times, so great to have you again. Yeah, thanks, Alexander, for the opportunity to share again a few things. Yep. Today, we are talking about statistical innovation, and there are hardly any two persons that would be better to speak about this than Mona and Kaspar, given that they are both leaders of statistical innovation groups in two big pharma companies. 
And they're currently both sitting together in Basel because they work for Roche and Novartis. Starting with Mona, can you give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself for those people who don't know you yet? Of course. As you said already, my name is Mona. I am working for Novartis, based here in Basel in Switzerland. I've been with the company for around 12 years, have always been working in a group called Statistical Methodology within the analytics organization in drug development at Novartis. And five years ago, approximately, I took on the leadership of that team and very much related to this topic, one of our key areas of scope, let's say, is around statistical innovation, driving advocacy for yeah, innovative solution and drug development. So looking forward to have this discussion today. Very good. Kaspar, for those who missed the earlier episodes with you. Yeah, so my name is Kaspar Rubibach. I work for Roche in Basel as a biostatistician. I joined Roche 11 years ago and initially worked as a trial statistician for a couple of years and then joined the methods collaboration and outreach group at Roche. And within that capacity, I do a lot of consulting for clinical trial teams. I give a lot of courses for statisticians in and externally. I do research jointly across industry with colleagues in other companies and with academia. And I'm interested in trying to improve clinical trial designs. I do a lot of work in survival analysis and with estimates and then causal inference. And we develop a lot of methods and bringing this innovation into the company turns out to be a not too easy task. So I'm very happy we have this discussion today and can share some learnings and maybe also get some inspiration from the audience later on. Yeah, that's a good intro into our discussion, actually. You create a lot of innovation. You bring a lot of innovation, what that's happening outside of your company into your different companies. Why are you so concerned about that this innovation is not picked up? And maybe a little bit before that, what does really innovation mean to you? So maybe I take a start and then Kasper can jump in. So I think both Kasper and I have talked about this topic before, and I guess we would come to a very similar definition of what we mean by innovation. So I think very often innovation is equated with invention. So something new or novel that can improve maybe the race of working or accelerate, let's say, drug development in our context and make it more efficient. So that's one way of thinking about it. However, it I think last year I saw someone explaining innovation as being more of a combination of invention as well as commercialization, where commercialization is essentially a key driver to create value out of an invention, right? So just having an invention alone is not sufficient if we are not able to implement it to create uptake and positive impact. Likewise, just being very good in commercializing something, but not having a great idea that actually improves something is not going to lead anywhere. So it's really like the interplay between invention as well as commercialization that then ultimately leads to innovation. And I think that's, for me, at least very helpful to think about it this way, because the skills needed for invention may not be the same that are needed for commercialization. You may not need the same team for both, but rather have collaboration. Yeah, that's the way I understand innovation. 
or think about it, let's put it that way. Yeah, maybe I can add to that just to Muna's last point. I think traditionally statisticians by our training and by how we see us, we focus a lot on the invention piece. We invent a lot of great stuff, new methods and try to improve trial designs. And over time, I sense there is some frustration that because we, through methodology, through simulations, we show this new method is actually better than what's currently out there and still people are not using it. And that generates potentially some frustration. And that, I think, let us think about how can we do this change? And of course, not every new statistical method or invention needs to be broadly applied, but I think there are things that we should apply more broadly in formal industry in terms of statistical methods, because drug development becomes ever more competitive. 20 years ago, you had all these new molecules that had huge effects in broad populations. And then clinical trial design is not so difficult, you have the impression. But meanwhile, there, it, many therapeutic areas are so competitive that you need to tease out effects and you need to optimize trial design. So invention and innovation out of these inventions becomes ever more important. And add to that, that we now rely on many more data sources. So it's RCTs, the traditional backbone of drug development is just one thing. We have now real world data, we have imaging data, we have many different kinds of data we need to integrate. And that also needs inventions and ideally also innovations in order to make best use of all these new data types. Yeah, completely agree. Another area where I see a lot of need for innovative trial design is, for example, rare diseases, where there's a lot of concern about, can we get enough patients and do we make good use of these patients? And as you mentioned, external controls are a big part there as well. Is there an example where you are specifically frustrated, something that was invented a long time ago and still hasn't been broadly implemented within pharma companies? I think maybe just to kick it off and then Kasper can, of course, add. So just because you mentioned rare diseases and while Bayesian statistics is by no means my area of expertise, but of course I know that there are several people in industry and also Novartis who work on this extensively. And I think that would be one of those examples where the invention itself has already been out there for ages, you could say. There are many approaches that help us to leverage trial external data, combine it, and synthesize data in a very efficient way. And Bayesian statistics can play a very important role there. Yet, the uptake is missing a bit. And I think that's where that equation again helps quite a bit, where we could say the invention is really already there maybe. And of course, you could explore more and add more inventions, but maybe that's not where the main effort should lie. Maybe the main effort should lie in the commercialization piece. So how do we create acceptance uptake for these methods? How do we drive trainings? How do we get key opinion leaders as well as regulators on board? to see the value and maybe using some of these approaches while being transparent about some of the risks also. So I think that's probably an area where some colleagues are frustrated for good reasons and where it's, in my opinion, not necessarily so much about the invention piece. It's more about the commercialization piece. That's a very good area. If I'm just thinking about invention and commercialization, basically it's, it's a product. Yeah. 
And you have one factor is invention and the other factor is commercialization. And the product of both is the value that you create. And if you focus only on one, yeah, commercialization is zero, cancels out to, yeah. So that's a very nice way of looking into it. Kasper, any kind of areas that you are most frustrated about? Yeah, I can share a few, I think. And maybe I can make a plug for an earlier podcast I was on with Jan Beiersmann, where we talked about the Savvy Project. Yeah. And I guess many people have heard me talking about this. If we think about how we report safety information in clinical trials, we just count the number of events divided by the number of patients. That's what we call the incidence proportion. We know this is only a valid or an unbiased estimate of the true adverse event probability under very restrictive assumptions that are never fulfilled. The methods, how we can deal with this, actually, they exist for 50 years. It's just basic survival analysis methods. And for me, this is very frustrating. I think we just give biased estimates of AE probabilities. And why is that? I think we, later we will talk about hurdles, maybe, for uptake and commercialization. But this is, a, for me, a really pressing area. I also looked into the literature a little bit. And there you find examples where people exactly discuss this lack of commercialization. One other topic is pediatrics. Using information generated in adult trials to inform pediatric trials where we know we have fewer patients. It's, I think, similar to what Mola talked about for rare diseases. And there are publications that say the methods have been there for 20 more years until they have really started to be applied in a systematic way in drug development. Yeah. Further examples that maybe you can mention are adaptive designs. The theory for adaptive designs exists for a long time. And it's not so straightforward and so easy to implement adaptive designs in drug development. I'm aware of that, but still, I think there is room that we can apply them more. And that is also reflected by ICH now writing a new guideline on adaptive design. So uh, it seems there is potential to use these more. And then the last point maybe I want to make is causal inference has been developed for the last 30 more years. And we just start now to pick it up in drug development and in randomized trials and the ICH9 estimates addendum helps with that with introducing estimates but I think there is still a, a way to go and more that we can commercialize within statistics and farming yep I could probably add to that from myself but that would be even even more frustrating but let's dive into a little bit more the topic of driving this innovation what kind of typical barriers do you see? Maybe I can start this yeah. time because uh, we at Roche are writing a paper on this topic. So I looked also in the literature what people identified as barriers and you can bring a long list. So maybe I can just focus on a few things. The first thing is insufficient knowledge. If in a methods group, you invent something, that doesn't immediately mean that people pick it up. They're very busy within their projects and overwhelmed by project work and the next filing. So that's one thing, insufficient knowledge that goes hand in hand with initially when you invent something, there is often the question, and maybe not even from the statisticians, but from partner functions, do we have precedence? If you <laughs> invent something new, of course, you don't have precedence because it is something new. And this is sometimes not easy to overcome. Another aspect, depending on how involved, complicated the invention is, a lack of software. And that's why I think this part of let me first talk about the hurdles and then maybe we can talk about how to overcome the hurdles. But if you invent something, having 
high quality accompanying software is a key piece nowadays, because otherwise you first need to write the software yourself, validate it. Of course, that's not going to work. And then there is, yeah, it, it relates to that point about precedence. Of course, there's a lot of inertia. That's what I see with safety. We have built this huge machinery, how to report safety data. We have built processes around it. We have whole departments around it. If you can come and say, we should maybe try a new approach. You need to work on many things. It's not, as statisticians, sometimes we feel, I've put this method out there. I've shown it works better than what we do today. So everybody should immediately understand we should now do this. And I think we also, as statisticians, need to work on that perception. This is not how things work. You need to actively do the, the change management. You need to bring stakeholders aboard. Not, And there are also other aspects to these things than just statistical aspects, and you need mm -hmm. to work on these as well. So these are hurdles that come to my mind, and I'm curious to hear what Muna has to add. Not <laughs> too much to add, but maybe a few things. So just following up maybe on your last point. I think that's a really good one, right? Because we are sometimes so much focused around the quantitative science perspective, and we don't think about the whole system, let's say, you know, the interplay with the different functions, the different, the different other collaborators, let's say. And that's sometimes a barrier because we don't bring them on board early enough. We want to have a perfect sort of solution first, and then we start reaching out. And that's sometimes not the best approach, or at least from my own experience, right? I feel like that the first impression usually counts a lot with these things. And so having talked with these functions already, so it's just looking at the broader picture, I think, which is sometimes, or the lack thereof, which is sometimes a barrier. Then also just to echo what, what Kasper said about this risk aversion, right? Anytime we have something new and we work in a very regulated environment, so it's not only we can't innovate by ourselves. So that's why we collaborate a lot with other companies, but also with academic collaborators, with regulators, because in order to innovate anything, any aspect of development, and that's, I think, very important that you do it early enough, you can then maybe alleviate some of that concerns and the risk. I think the other thing that I have faced a bit sometimes in my long or short career is the fact that sometimes we focus very much on short-term goals versus long-term goals. And I see that a bit as a barrier for innovation because if you want to innovate, yes, it takes time, it takes resources, it is associated with a lot of risk. You may start with several things and not all of them play out relevant or important, or you may start certain collaborations with certain universities and so on, but not everything will actually play out and have a positive impact on drug development. And I guess that's something that then comes from the leadership also of the organizations, right? If they are, if they want to foster innovation and they want to foster long-term strategic thinking, then I think that's important. And maybe just one example to, to illustrate that for complex innovative design, but also for model informed drug development, there is now one on real right evidence. And these are all opportunities to learn jointly at the drug development community and how to use innovative approaches in drug development. We can engage with the regulator in a more expanded discussion. But of course, that also means time on the side of the project team that want to go there. Of course, my perspective is then thinking about the broader impact, right? This has an impact 
overall on, on other projects, also on other disease areas, but the teams themselves that you need to maybe convince to embrace that trend, yeah. that's a different thing, right? So we think more about we and the whole sort of drug development community, but the teams themselves have really their own product that they want to develop as fast as possible. And I can certainly understand that, but there's a bit of tension between these, these aspects. Am I best off there? I liked one point that Muna mentioned. Just one. No, I like all points, but I want to re-emphasize one point that all this is a matter of long breath. And I think as statisticians, and I observe this with myself, if you do something, you develop something new, you invent something, if you want, then for you, the problem solves. You, otherwise, maybe you're better suited in an academic environment where the focus is more on invention. And once you have invented something, written a paper, that's already a good result, but in what we try to move the needle in pharma industry, and then we need to follow up on it. And even if for yourselves, the problem is solved, you need to put in some energy to commercialize it. And maybe I can mention one example where Muna and myself are heavily involved. These are estimates. I heard about this, I don't know, back in 2015, maybe. And then it was a very obscure thing, but talked about by some regulators. And then you start to look into it. You start to roll this out. We had the first courses at Roche, maybe in 2018. A lot of people were asking, what is this all about? Does this matter? Is this not just a statistical thing? And just yesterday, I was part of a training academy at Roche for partner functions. And now everybody is by themselves. They come to us and say, okay, we need to know about this. And that is very rewarding because we had the long breath and the patience and just, you have to wait and, and hang in there. And then ultimately you will commercialize this in the whole organization. Yeah, completely agree with all these points. And I think there's, there are lots of examples of that. Yeah. If you can think about this fear of doing something new, what happens if we do this new and it doesn't work out? Of course, people shy away from it because it means change. There's only a very small group of people that embrace change. People that are always on the first gadgets. They are always want to make things different. They are advantageous. Maybe they're more courageous as well. Yeah. And these are the first people that take it up. That's a very small part of any big organization. And if you have work in a cross-functional team, of course, you need to have people from that are that kind of people from all these different areas. And yes, yeah, you can have a great inventive idea, but if it doesn't take into account that you have within companies like timelines, budget, systems, software, like you mentioned, yeah, it becomes really hard. And I think that is where this inertia that you meant is really in it, yeah? Inertia is a really nice way to think about it. There's a famous book by Clausewitz that talks about inertia quite a lot. <laughs> just that inertia is always making things difficult and you always need to put a lot of effort into it. Just because we are right doesn't mean it will get implemented. And just because here are all the simulations, here are all the facts, here are all the kind of academic case studies. Doesn't mean you can convince people. It is really what's in it for them. 
And that's where our change management provides a lot about. So taking the people with you and looking into what's in it for the person, yeah, or for the project team, like you said, yeah. But the project team is incentivized by pushing their project forward. And that might be very different incentive to what's the overall company wants. We work in an area where most of our compounds fail. If you think about direct development, yeah, failure is the default. Yeah. Success is the, so to say, outlier. Yeah. Especially when you look into earlier phases. And there's a lot of risk taking there. However, when it comes here to statistical innovation, sometimes there's the perception it's the opposite. Yeah. And so it's a very interesting kind of cultural aspect as well. This show was created in association with PSI. And stay tuned for the second part, which comes out in a couple of days. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS who help with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Thank you.